0: Hi, my name's Mara. This episode of the Radioactive Show was recorded and produced on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri peoples for 3CR Melbourne. Today, we'll hear an interview between 3CR's Jan Bartlett and Lee Tan from AidWatch. Lee updates us on the impacts of Australian miner Linus Rare Earth, both in Australia and in Malaysia.
1: Today, we revisit Linus and a new development in Western Australia. I'm speaking with environmental activist Lee Tan, whose hometown in Malaysia, Kwantan, is where Linus established its production line of rare earths, including a radioactive waste dump in a peat bog. The issue we're going to be talking about today is Linus Corporation. We normally focus entirely on what's happening in Malaysia, but we're going to start today, Kalgoorlie, Western Australia. What are they up to there?
2: Well, the EPA has approved with conditions for the Calgary Secondary Processing Plant. By the way, Linus Corporation has now changed its name to Linus Rare Earth, mainly because of the importance of rare earth in the international market and also for geopolitical reasons. Yeah, so, you know, as you can see, this company is very kind of, upwardly mobile all the time to capture investor and shareholders. Uh, anyway, back to Kalgoorlie. So the conditions imposed by the WAEPA is that liners cannot store the, waste, the radioactive waste and also another stream, which is a gypsum waste, that's also contaminated with a, a, a very small amount of radioactive materials. So both of those waste cannot be stored near Kalgoorlie. they have to be returned to uh, Linus Mount Weld mine site for disposal as a low level radioactive waste and that's really important both for you know health and safety for public health and environmental health in the long term but more importantly, it is, impor- it, it is uh, significant for the Malaysian when, where the governments uh, and also mainly liners claim that the waste is not radioactive waste. It is called norm waste, which is in some way correct, but when norm waste cannot be reused, recycled or whatever, it's actually treated as a radioactive waste. So that was one of the conditions and then um and of course, you know those conditions came about because organizations like Watch and local residents in Kalgoorlie petitioned and and wrote, and put in submission when the environmental impact assessment was uh, put up for public consultation, so I worked on that quite a lot and uh, put in very substantial points and also invited. Associate Professor Gavin Mudd from RMIT University to do an assessment. So, you know, we've got a scientifically solid submission to back up our our points. I mean, of course, we did uh, try to stop Linus from constructing that secondary processing plant in Kalgoorlie and, you know, suggesting that it should go back to as close to the mine as possible to locate it away from population um, area. But, you know, we couldn't do that because Linus has got the full support from the Kalgoorlie City Council, um, much to the frustration and anger of some of the local residents. Um, so that's the Kalgoorlie side. And uh, and also um, Linus is only allowed to source a small amount of um the contaminated waste on site next to its plant for up to a year. Um, as we can see, in Malaysia, it has accumulated millions of tons of contaminated waste by the the plant in the last 10 years. So that sort of situation cannot be allowed to happen in Kalgoorlie. But in Malaysia, unfortunately, Partly due to due to lack of understanding of the hazard of this kind of um, uh, waste, mainly because of from from our uh, yeah we we appeal Eight Watch and some of the local residents in Kalgoorlie appealed against the EPA decision to allow Linus to construct a secondary processing plant uh, at Kalgoorlie Boulder. And in our appeal, we raised some of the key points that hasn't been taken into consideration in the EPA decision, and that is there is no fixed time as to how how long they can store the waste on site next to the plant. So we raised uh, that, those sort of points, yeah, and I mean we did you know try and appeal for the plant to be relocated back to the area to be managed there where there's less people living around and also in a much more kind of drier environment. But, you know, we didn't get that, but we, what we did get was um, the restriction on the amount of waste that liners can store on site. Um, and that, again, you know, is a, a, a good outcome for the case in Malaysia where liners basically say that you know, it's a uh, uh, storage dam, waste storage dam um, is it, uh, saved and all that sort of stuff in Malaysia. So yeah, basically we, t- we managed to set some benchmarks through the Kalgoorlie proposal, um, but the situation in Malaysia is still uncertain and dire in that sense. Later,
1: why is it being processed in Kalgoorlie and not at Mount Weld?
2: Now, in the first place, best possible scenario, even though there will still be pollution problems and all that, um, Linus should have done everything near Mount Weld or, you know, in another industrial area in Australia, in Western Australia, as close as possible to the mine side. I would say that it's more to do with uh, cheaper production for Linus to send it to Malaysia where there's hardly any, you know, regulatory requirement and the requirements are not followed and enforced anyway in Malaysia. So Linus was able to set the plan up very quickly back in um, 2011 uh, or before that uh, without having to go through all the more stringent technical and scientific scrutiny Uh, we're not saying that in Australia the standard is high enough but at least it's higher than what has happened in Malaysia. And yeah, and and there are some level of management here and regulatory requirements that has been enforced, whereas in Malaysia there was none of that. And that's the reason why Linus has chosen Malaysia plus the the much cheaper uh, set-up costs and the running cost, and especially the waste disposal and pollution monitoring uh, costs. This really very minimal in Malaysia. Whereas in Australia, there are some capacity within EPA to to do independent testings, but in Malaysia they don't. Uh, and, and even if they've done it, politically, because of the strong backing, from the highest level of office in Malaysia, the, the environmental department, uh, authority in, in uh, Malaysia basically just close an eye to any pollution issues, even though the data are there, and that 's one of the main reasons why Linus chosen Malaysia because they could get away with anything in that sense, exert a lot of influence on um, local governance and also on political uh, dynamic in Malaysia.
1: How does the rare earth concentrate get from Mount Well to Kalgoorlie?
2: They will be transported on uh, on by train or by truck. I can't remember if there's any, actually a train line. I think, no, there won't be any train line. It will be transported by truck. so all of that details are lacking actually in the uh, EIA report, and we raise that issues of like you know there's no detail on the transportation. I think there was some claim that it has Linus has done that by transporting the concentrate from our to Fremantle for export to Malaysia without any mishap or problems. So, you know, it, it won't be a problem just to, to transport it from Malweld to um, Kalgoorlie. But we are more concerned about the other way. When the waste gets transported from uh, the Kalgoorlie boulder plant back to Malweld, there's no route apart from um, the main street of Kalgoorlie that will have to be traversed by the truck when it transports the waste back. And accident can happen. Yeah, and the ways are both, you know, hazardous and radioactive.
1: How big was the campaign within the community at Kalgoorlie Boulder?
2: Well, there isn't like a active movement, but there are some residents who are actively um, advocating against it. I think the problem is the environmental groups in Western Australia are overstretched. In some way, they are of the view that it is better to be processed in WA than in Malaysia, which I agree. So only A-Watch has been monitoring it, um, but we do work closely with uh, the Conservation Council of WA, mainly because they're stretched capacity-wise. They just haven't got the time or energy to do anything about it, which is, you know, unfortunately the case because there's uranium mining, there's all sorts of uh, other mining issues in WA which they have to um, handle.
1: What are your comments on the EPA?
2: Uh, Well, we raised a, a whole range of comments. Mainly we wanted the plant to be relocated as close as possible in Malwell or in anywhere that are not close to residents or human settlements, I mean, that includes uh, traditional owners, informed consent, and also their safety, as well as that of the environment.
1: Were people listened to?
2: Put it that way, I think we were we were not 100% happy in that the plant is still approved for the Kalgoorlie Boulder area, but we are slightly kind of relieved in that it the same situation that happened in Malaysia when millions of tons of radioactive waste been accumulating from day one of the operation over there until now, and it is contaminating the environment. Um, it is probably affecting local people's health, uh, totally undetected, and no action from the government. So in the case of Kalgoorlie Boulder, we managed to get the waste, you know, sent back to to Mount Weld. Uh, we also managed to restrict the the time for liners to be able to store the waste on site. And those are some of the points that we can use in Malaysia to further advocate for that waste to be removed from the country and returned to the Mount site to be managed and and disposed of together with its forthcoming waste from the Kalgoorlie boulder plant. And that is, you know, a big challenge, but we will pursue that.
0: Who will be
1: listening to you
2: back in Malaysia
1: when you do present your concerns?
2: Yep. We've been working with Friends of the Earth and also Save Malaysia stopliners uh, and some of the uh, opposition MPs. Yeah, so, you know, it has been very helpful... In Malaysia, Linus is applied to dump the waste permanently uh, in a pit swamp next to the plant. In a facility that is very poorly and inadequately poorly designed, will inadequately um, store the waste and it will not be intact for even more than 20 years. And that was all... Uncovered in its own uh, EIA report. And so we, together with Friends of the Earth and, and um, Save Malaysia Stop Liners and other people, have uh, petitioned against that. Um, unfortunately, as we expected in Malaysia, the government did not listen to the public submission, and now we are appealing that decision through the Environmental Appeal Board in Malaysia.
0: You're listening to the Radioactive Show, broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. We're listening to an interview by Jan Bartlett with Lee Tan from AidWatch. Lee's just given us an update on the impacts of Linus in Western Australia. Next, we'll hear about what they're up to in Malaysia.
2: Well, there are people who are not happy, particularly, I was told, the women in the community are concerned for the health of their children and also you know, long-term public health. But It's very political over there. The area is controlled by the Islamic party and dominated by men. Many of them work or have contracts with liners, and they prefer to have liners there for the money, and they do not have the knowledge and all the understanding or the scientific or medical understanding of the health, I mean, the problem with this kind of waste, radioactive and and uh, pollution, it takes decades sometimes because of the low level nature. But the long half life, no doubt, of uh, the key contaminants, which is thorium and uranium, uh, nickel, chromium, lead, and some of the other um, heavy toxic heavy metals, they take time for the impact to be shown. And in a country like Malaysia, where there's very poor public health care system, there's no monitoring, there's no detection of any changes in health outcome. You know, people are left basically to deal with it themselves. And these effects may not be felt for another 10 years. But certainly, we, I have seen data in the EIA report of uh, contaminated seafood, of um, yeah, both by heavy matter, from heavy metals and radioactive materials, and also contaminated groundwater and possibly the surrounding environment. But apart from liners doing it just to get the EIA together, there's no other data, no independently assessed data. Although there's been some voluntary research that shows that the kind of waste that liners leaving behind can leach radioactive materials into the environment, mainly due to the intrusion of rain, and as we know, Malaysia is a wet tropical country with, you know, periodic well annual monsoon period where you get these
0: huge
2: deluges of um, monsoon rain, and they are facing, you know, more severe cyclonic situation, which they never got before. And even a tornado was shown happening very close to where the Linus plant was. Yeah, so it's, it's really a recipe for long-term disaster, but because it's not immediately felt or understood or, or yeah, due to ignorance in part, it's really difficult, but we are trying to do some community outreach work. But our capacity is also stretched because we do not have the resources to actually do it.
1: Is the seafood consumed locally or oh, is yes. it
2: exported totally consumed both locally and also sold to the greater city of Kuantan. And it's kind of, um, that area is famous for its seafood traditionally all along the east coast of uh, Peninsular Malaysia. And people buy, you know, seafood products from all over Malaysia, visitors maybe from Singapore and what have you. And the mangrove floodplain surrounding the, the liner site is famous for mud crab before, and you know, there's, there will be still many people who continue to consume that and shellfish without knowing that they've all been contaminated.
1: Can the mangroves be impacted by contaminated water?
2: Well, mangrove species are particularly nutrient and uh, tolerant of pollution. In a way, you know, mangroves, as we know, are uh, like a kidney for the earth where all the pollutions get poured in and they suck it up. But there will be a breaking point when the level of contamination is so high that this mangrove plant can no longer tolerate. And also, if people are eating Produce from some of the, the mangrove palms, for example, in as in the case in, in um, near where the Linus plant is in Malaysia, people harvest a particular palm fruit to eat. So all of that will be contaminated. And you know, I've mentioned before the seafood and and now the plants. And if the mangrove forest is you know getting trash for to build radioactive plant, as has been the case for Linus, there will be less of that pollution absorption capabilities as well. So in the long term, you know, that area will become an industrial wasteland. And it is the second highest kind of population growth area for the city of Kwantan. So it is a significant problem and no radioactive waste, and the plant should not even be there in the first place.
1: What does the International Atomic Energy Agency Mm. say about what's happening in Kwantung?
2: Well, that's the thing. They did the preliminary assessment back in 2011 and then a follow-up visit in 2014. Now, in 2011, they released 11 recommendations, and in 2014, they did an assessment, and then they made... Eight further suggestions for Malaysia to follow through, and Linus as well, and and all of those eight suggestions have not being followed at all. And of course, you know the IAEA is not hasn't got any power to force country to adhere to its recommendations and suggestions. So you know, basically, the, both the Malaysian government, as a member state, and Linus as the polluter gotten away scotch free and um IAA, you know, made the, the assessment back in twenty eleven saying that the operation is of low risk, but that's only applicable to the pre license stage. And IAEA has repeatedly in both of its report to highlight the importance of having a, a, a permanent location that satisfy established international standards and requirements for this kind of uh, radioactive waste. No, none of that got followed through. It's quite typical.
1: What we've been talking about for the last little while, where does that all fit in with the latest IPCC report? The report of yeah. the climate change 2022 adaptation and vulnerability.
2: Yeah, and, you know, for Southeast Asia, they have predicted much more severe cyclones which means that, you know, there will be more uh, higher incidences of uh, flood. And that's, you know, flood, flooding, of course, is a huge issue for any waste because rainwater helps to leach the toxic elements into the environment. So that's number one. Number two, for that part of Malaysia, because the radioactive waste dump is situated so close to the sea, some two to three kilometers from the South China Sea. And and that coastal area will be inundated within 80 years, according to one of the reports that I've seen, uh, you know, that predicts sea level rise. I mean, no radioactive waste, no landfill should be located in that kind of geologically vulnerable landscape. And also, particularly, no radioactive waste should be left in a wet tropical country, in a poorly engineered facility like that. So, yeah, and, and the study, the EIA, had not really taken climate change impact seriously, with, uh, apart from making very stripping statement to say that, uh, you know, it's fine, it's not a problem. Sounds as though there's a lot of work for environmentalists in the next little while. Yeah, definitely, and, and with very little resources. Basically, most of us worked on it on a pro bono basis at our own expense, and that's really, really unjust and unfair, but we have to do it for the sake of uh, public health and also environment, and particularly what Linus is doing is setting a bad residence, you know, of a radioactive waste dump containing so much waste, I think it's going to be one of the biggest and definitely Malaysia's biggest radioactive waste dump and, you know, siting it of all place in a pit swamp that's subject to climate change impact. And that's a new kind of bad precedent being set there by Linus Rare Earth. Um, that's something that I think people are not aware of and it's an issue which A is definitely trying very hard to push. And this is a
1: company that's lauded by politicians as being so successful.
2: Absolutely. And not only lauded, but financed. Linus would not be possible, or the, the plant in Malaysia, would not be possible without the finance from the Japanese government to try and uh, break China's stronghold. And then later, Pentagon, you know, because of its significance to weapon technology, and also to show China that they can have their alternative supply of rare earth. And more recently, last year, by the Morrison government, that has committed $14 million for Linus Kalgoorlie boulders plant. So, yeah, it's got the backing of all the government, mainly because, you know, Linus has been very good at marketing itself as a global supplier for rare earth uh, minerals. When, in fact, there hasn't been any shortage in the world, it was all speculative, both for the green and so-called low-emission technology sector, and now, more recently, because of the geopolitical situation with China and now Russia, it's going to be, yes, spin, and Linus has already joined that, uh, definitely, in the marketing spin, to talk up its importance for weapon technology. Yeah, so it's all part of that whole military-industrial complex dynamic and supply chain. It's very concerning, and yet not many people are paying attention to this problem.
1: Well, we're glad you're there, Lee
2: Tan. Oh, I'm, I'm so exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks. Where would we be without Lee tan
0: Thanks so much to Jan Bartlett, and especially Lee Tan, who's been fighting to highlight the negative social and environmental impacts of Linus Rare earth operations in both Australia and Malaysia. While Rare Earths are important for renewable technologies, it's important that the mining of these materials does not replicate the problems associated with mining generally. To learn more about the campaign, go to aidwatch.org.au. Thanks for listening to The Radioactive Show. You can download the podcast of this program at 3cr.org.au slash radioactive. If you'd like to get in contact, you can email us at radioactiveshow.3cr at gmail.com. The Radioactive Show was recorded and produced with the support of Friends of the Earth Nuclear Free Collective for 3CR Melbourne on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation in Fitzroy, Victoria. It's broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. Thanks for listening and tune in again next week for more news and views on nuclear, peace and energy issues.